Welcome to Slow Stories. I'm Rachel Schwartzman, the founder of Connected Editorial and the host and creator of this podcast. For those of you just joining in, Slow Stories is a series that deep dives into the rising slow content movement. In each of these episodes, I interview brand builders, entrepreneurs, and creative professionals who share what slow content means in the context of what they're building and why slowing down and creating thoughtful stories is more important than ever. Today's episode begins with an opening story from Olivia Gossett Cooper, who shares an excerpt from a book she returns to when seeking both comfort and community. Here's more from Olivia. Hey, this is Olivia Gossett Cooper, founder of Today We Will newsletter and Silver, that purse fork your friend was talking about that will help you reduce plastic cutlery waste while eating on the go. What I'm reading today is an excerpt from The Hidden Life of Trees by Peter Wollobin. It's one of my favorite books, and there's so much we can learn from nature, but this excerpt is what I think is one of the most beautiful things I've ever learned from trees. The excerpt reads, Why are trees such social beings? Why do they share food with their own species and sometimes even go as far as to nourish their competitors? The reasons are the same as for human communities. There are advantages to working together. A tree is not a forest. On its own, a tree cannot establish a consistent local climate. It is at the mercy of wind and weather. But together, many trees create an ecosystem that moderates extremes of heat and cold, stores a great deal of water, and generates a great deal of humidity. And in this protected environment, trees can live to be very old. To get to this point, the community must remain intact, no matter what. If every tree were looking out only for itself, then quite a few of them would never reach old age. Regular fatalities would result in many large gaps in the tree canopy, which would make it easier for storms to get inside the forest and uproot more trees. Then the heat of the summer would reach the forest floor and dry it out. Every tree would suffer. Every tree, therefore, is valuable to the community and worth keeping around for as long as possible. And that is why, when even sick individuals are supported and nourished, they go until they recover. Next time, perhaps it will be the other way around, and the supporting tree might be the one in need of assistance. When the thick, silver-gray beech trees behave like this, they remind me of a herd of elephants. Like the herd, they too look after their own, and they help their sick and weak back up onto their feet. They are even reluctant to abandon their dead. So that's the excerpt. Um, The the entire book is amazing, but that's just something that has always stuck with me. It's such a beautiful concept and I'm so grateful um, to have this opportunity to revisit it. And I hope it inspires you to kind of see the bigger picture of the greater being just as important as the individual and helping each other out. Thank you so much again to Olivia for sharing. And again, the book she read from was The Hidden Life of Trees by Peter Wollobin. Now here's my interview with Emily Schild of Pop-Up Grocer. Emily Schild's appetite for life has created the foundation for a life well-lived and well-traveled. As you'll hear more about in today's episode, Emily is the founder of Pop-Up Grocer, a traveling grocery store that showcases hundreds of products from over 150 innovative food, beverage, home, pet, and body care brands. 
Since the shop's inception, Emily has brought pop-up grocer around the country and in turn has been able to fuse her love for food, discovery, and storytelling to create a one-of-a-kind destination. And as the world became appended by COVID-19, Emily was forced to reassess her relationship with food and the important role pop-up grocer can play in bringing value to her community, both online and off. Naturally, storytelling also played an immense role in this, and in this interview, Emily shared more of her own story, what living and working on the road has been like, and the question that she hopes people ask her more often. There are a ton of gems from this conversation, so without further delay, here's the lovely Emily Schilt of Pop Grocer. I guess I would describe myself as a curious person. Uh, I kind of live by the motto, to be interesting, you need to be interested. So uh, yeah, I like to pay attention to things. I like to observe things. Uh, I'm attracted to people who are interested and curious about life. Um, My friends in New York and I actually all gather together at least once a month and share like articles we're reading, podcasts we're listening to, things we're cooking. Uh, So I guess that kind of describes my hobbies and interests. I like to read the paper, like the physical paper every Sunday. Um, I really admire people who read the paper every uh, day because it takes me... (laughs) takes me about a week to read the Sunday paper. I know the Sunday paper's thicker, but that's still pretty sad. Uh, yeah, and then, I mean, I love food, which is obviously why professionally I, I do what I do. That's awesome. And I think it's totally fine to take a week to read the paper. This is slow stories. We're all about taking the time we need to do what needs to be done correctly. And I guess on that note, I'd love if you could share a story that you read in the paper or one that you shared in your friend group that made you slow down recently or reflect on some of your current endeavors. Mm. Well, I think we all have a universal interest right now. Uh, So it's hard to read anything or discover anything that is unrelated to the coronavirus and how we're handling that from a mental, physical, emotional, financial standpoint. So um, I've been trying to uh, absorb with, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, like with uh, sensitivity information there. Um, I read an article in the Harvard business review about grief, which I thought was an important and interesting filter through or like lens through which to to look at the coronavirus and what we're all collectively experiencing. Uh, so, so yeah, that, that kind of gave me pause. It basically was describing how we're all, how we're all feeling is, uh, is grief and not just one f- one form of grief, but multiple forms of grief. There's um, the sense of loss of life as we knew it, and then the anticipatory loss that comes with the lack of certainty we have uh, around what the future is going to look like. So really light stuff, basically, is what I'm seeing. It's one thing. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like with the idea of this collective experience of grief, what you're doing through the lens of food and discovery really has such a restorative power. And, you know, we all have to eat and gather in some form, whether it's digitally or not. So, you know, with everything that's going on, even still, food has remained such a big part of your professional and personal life. And I'm curious how your relationship with it has changed in both of those contexts in the last few months. Yeah, um, there, there's a spectrum of things going on with food right now. You know, on the one hand, there's the devastating reality that a lot of people are without it. Um, and that's on my mind, both personally and professionally. And then those of us who are privileged, my, myself included, um, are at home with more time on our hands and access to food. And so we're cooking more. Uh, and what's interesting about that experience is that it's more isolated. It's less communal. It's more independent. Uh, so, so I guess I, I answer that question with caution because I do like to be aware of the fact that, um, you know, there is some, some slowness and some creativity that's that's happening around food right now that's it's kind of exciting. Um, I've really been enjoying making lunch, for example, which is not something that I usually uh, engage in. I'm too busy. Uh, and so that's nice. Um, but, you know, even when I just think about the number of kids who aren't in school right now and they rely upon that for their meals, um, it's quite devastating. So I guess to answer your question, um, yeah, we're, I'm approaching it from both angles professionally, uh, with pop-up grocer, we just launched a curated box that's available for delivery nationwide and 10% of the sales from that will go to feeding America. Um, and it will also bring some joy and delight uh, through food to, to the people who are privileged enough to be able to have access to that uh, at home. Yeah, I think this initiative in particular is such a nice extension of pop-up grocers, communal roots, but I definitely want to backtrack a little bit for those listening who might not know the full story of pop-up grocer, and it would be great to kind of have you give us some background on the concept and how it's evolved and why you think now is the time for a concept like this to come to life. A uh, pop-up grocery store, what a what a weird thing. <laughs> um, yeah, basically my, my role is to just explain what that is all day long. Uh, to back up, um, yeah, so I, I've been in marketing in the food and beverage space for the entirety of my career. And in, in working with clients to help launch products, I just noticed that they're wasn't this uh, physical, tangible, exciting space in which they could really be highlighted and people could notice them. So I wanted to create that environment. Um, and basically what we do is we showcase between 150 to 175 new products from the most innovative food, beverage, home, pet <laughs> and body care brands. And we move around with that showcase in different cities across the country. So we're just open for 30 
days at a time in each location. And the whole point is to allow people to discover these items and spend more time in a space that's conducive to that behavior. Whereas in a grocery store, you're hurried or it's dusty and dark and just not really somewhere that you want to linger over uh, the back panels of items and think about brand and founder story and all of these things that are really exciting about what's happening in the food space right now. They just aren't given the right uh, environment in which to, to learn about them. Yeah, it's so great. And it seems like the duration keeps being extended because I remember the first one you did here in New York was only 10 days. I mean, the first one was really just an experiment. I, I had no idea. You know, I, I was into it. <laughs> I felt like um, from a, from a, I just explained like the, the business side of it. Um, but from a consumer side, I was also really missing a, a grocery store that I wanted to shop in that was full of all of the things that I was privy to professionally. Um, and so I, I had a hunch that there would be enough people out there like me to come visit, but I didn't know that for a fact. So 10 days felt like a good enough amount that it would be able to prove our concept, but it would also, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't too risky. Um, uh, or as risky as I thought investing in 30 days would be. So once we determined that it was successful, then we decided that we would be open for for longer. That makes sense. And I really do feel like Pop-Up Grocer is breathing new life into the narrative and experience around food and grocery shopping. And I'm wondering if there's been any sort of unexpected feedback that's made you pause and think about ways to expand on the current model or experience that you might uh, not had normally considered? Yeah, I mean, e-commerce is one of them. Uh, people come and they are just generally, I guess, thinking about ways that we can extend our relationship with the visitors to the store beyond those four walls. Uh, we found that's the number one question. People come, they're so they're having so much fun. They're super stimulated by all of these new things that they're seeing on shelf. And then they're like, but wait, you're, you're gone. How can we, how can we keep this going? Um, so creating some kind of digital experience has always been on our radar and, and the boxes are the first iteration of that. Um, but also, you know, going to different cities as opposed to just staying in New York and popping up every few months or, staying in the same place and rotating inventory has come as a direct result of people in other cities uh, wanting us to exist there too. So that wasn't necessarily a part of the original plan, but quickly became a part of it. I think it's nice. I mean, I always like to remind people and myself that there is a world outside of New York. And I think we get so used to our surroundings and our bubbles. And I just love the nature of Pop-Up Grocer and the fact that you're able to engage with different communities. Definitely is a world outside of New York. I, I've lived outside of New York for the past, uh, since December. So however long that is, I guess almost like six months now. So I've learned that firsthand after being in New York for a decade. Um, but yeah, I actually think that our concept is even more intriguing in places that aren't New York and LA 
because those cities have less access to a lot of the things that we're featuring. So I think people are even more excited at the prospect of having such a place in their city. Totally. And with the traveling aspect of pop-up grocer in mind and just thinking about how your life has kind of taken shape in the last few months, what's been one of the most interesting lessons you've learned about modern life from being in all of these places? I, it's funny, like, I thought that my life in each city would really be very different. And maybe it's just because I'm a specifically uh, it's going to say weird, <laughs> but a unique person. And that like, I'm very scheduled and, um, somewhat r- rigid. Like I have a very, I have a very planned life. So I'm kind of adaptable. Like everything I do in every city is, is more or less the same. Um, so I don't really know if that answers your question, but I, I guess I find it to be a little bit less, uh, ex- explorative than I thought it was going to be. Uh, you can kind of make the same life for you, or I can anyway, uh, wherever now. <laughs> it's interesting, but I think it makes sense. And that that idea is almost being exposed now that we're all kind of forced to be remote and adapt so that we can make things work from wherever we are. And I, you know, when I started to work on my interview questions for you, the world hadn't and turned upside down yet. But as I said, and as we're all kind of collectively realizing, we don't need to subscribe to a way of life and we can slow down in all facets of our lives. And that means our digital ones too. So with the heart of this podcast, I really like to look at that concept through the lens of content and online storytelling and connection, because all of those things are such a big part of our lives. And I'm wondering what the idea of slow content and storytelling means to you right now? Mm. Yeah, I mean, um, it is interesting. I think it's too, for me, it's a little, it's a little too early to talk about uh, gratitude or, or silver linings from this experience. But I will say that uh, this time right now has has really not just forced, but, but allowed because email is quieter and, um, the pressures are quieter. You know, there's this universal slowness, uh, some, you know, uh, somewhat, there's also sort of a, a universal paralleled, um, anxiousness and, uh, I don't know, a sense of that, which kind of like encourages the sense of let, let's figure this all out. Um, but, but yeah, I I um I hope that that I, in a so in a sense I guess I'm saying is I, I hope that lasts because I I think the the release of some of the pressures of what of our normal everyday life before uh, has allowed me to make more room for things that matter to me or just to be more present in the things that I do and uh, it'll be interesting to see as we're all somewhat experiencing that if it is something that that prevails. Yeah, absolutely. I'm also curious though how you think content and digital tools can aid us in in that unlearning of some of the habits that we've developed because obviously people are still yearning to connect whether it's through Zoom or Instagram Live or email or whatever the platform may be. 
we still have so much access at our fingertips. I mean, I I think more than more than ever, we're so aware, uh, or there's or there's such a, a resistance to, or at least this is how I'm feeling, a resistance to quantity. Um, I mean, I don't even want to look at my Instagram feed um, because it's just it feels very irrelevant it fe- or or it feels too relevant it feels one or the other it feels like um too much of the of the same thing that gives me stress and anxiety and um uncertainty about the future or it is con- you know it's it's counter to that and thus it feels a little bit tone deaf or um, just, you know, not, not aligned with my current state of mind. So I am really yearning for, for quality content and, and honestly, like feel a little bit lost in, in where to look for it. Um, I think surprise, much to my surprise, it really speaks to this kind of endless opportunity for new media or, um, you know, like even yesterday I was asking for new podcasts to listen to. And it's like, everybody has a podcast now. How is it possible that I've run out? I don't know if that really answers your question, but I am looking for trusted perspectives maybe now more than ever too. I think that's the thing is I really want people with whom I share values and opinions as opposed to sourcing my information from uh, any old influencer. must also be challenging as you sort of navigate this to think about how to use content to sustain awareness and interest around pop-up grocer. And I know that you mentioned e-commerce and other digital initiatives are in the plan at some point, but now I'm curious how your frame of mind is for telling brand stories. Uh, I mean, I, th- I think honestly, like our approach there uh can can thrive in this environment because i mean we think about our role as a field guide for example to navigating grocery uh that is important now maybe more than it was before even as people most people are shopping online for the first time for example and they have no idea what to buy in the depths of confusion on Amazon. And so we can really be a valuable resource to people in helping them to navigate that. And I think people are more conscious about their purchase decisions than before as well as they really want to make sure that they're investing in brands that are contributing something positive uh, as it's directly related to the current situation or just in light of a new uh, mindset because of this situation. So I think uh, generating stories about these brands that people want to support, as they're also large majority uh, small businesses who are facing a number of of new challenges right now, um, we can we can really be valuable in that way. Definitely, and I think that thoughtful approach really translates in everything you do, from the branding to the storytelling that you just mentioned, and on a broader scale, that level of thoughtfulness also inevitably creates space for customers and other brands to ask important questions 
of each other and of ourselves that we might not normally have made the time to do otherwise. And so with that said, as we move through this challenging period, I'm wondering if there is one question that you hope people start asking you more often. I mean, me personally, I I am single. I am uh, an owner of a business that I operate by myself. I live alone. Um, it, uh, I, and I love all of those things. <laughs> um, but there is a, a wonderful thing that has come from all of this, which is that I probably receive a minimum of seven text messages a day just asking how I am. And so oddly, I've never you know, on the one hand, I feel more alone at this time than I have ever felt. Um, and on the other, I, I feel more connected as well. So I guess I would hope that even when we are out of this time of intense crisis, that I still get seven texts a day asking how I am and that I uh, return them. I've actually started doing this thing uh, myself every night that I've called uh, Fiend. Uh, French for end, but F-I-N stands for friend in need. So every night I'm trying to reach out to a friend that I know uh, may be particularly struggling because, for example, they also live alone um, and are single or they're uh, a senior citizen or they're currently looking for a job, which is a horrible time to be looking for employment for obvious reasons, um, et cetera. So so yeah, the, the question I hope that remains for everyone is, is how are you? I love that. I'm also curious as to how you would answer that question right now. No, heck if I know. <laughs> sometimes I'm good and sometimes I'm bad. And sometimes that happens in the same day. And sometimes I have two really good days and I have two really bad days. Um, I think I, I said to you uh, when we were talking before we got started here, you know, I, it's a strange thing that good is is really meaning that I'm alive and I'm healthy and I'm employed um, and I am seemingly you know hopefully gonna gonna get through this, which is much more than a lot of other people can say. So I'm really trying to remain in that place of of gratitude and and use that to try to uh, help as many people who aren't in that position uh, as well as I can. I think that's all that any of us can do at this moment, but from where I'm standing, all of your efforts to do that really come across at least on social media. So in that regard, I think that content, whether fast or slow, can be a really beautiful window into people's efforts to try to facilitate and maintain connection during a time where we're all experiencing intense isolation and you know, that could prompt an entirely separate discussion in itself. But for this interview, I want to wrap things up with one final question that I always ask to close out these interviews. And that is, why do you think slowing down our relationship to content will ultimately help us live, work, and feel better? I hope it makes us more present, which makes us more conscious, which makes us more intentional which makes us more connected um 
So I guess that all means like I hope I, I think it has the power to bring us together and for us to feel like we're all in this together. Um, yeah, slow content for connection. That was Emily Schilt, the pop up grocer. You can follow Emily on Instagram at Emily Schilt and pop up grocer at popup.grocer. Also, be sure to visit Pop Up Grocer online at popupgrocer.co to see what's in store for them next. We'll be back soon with our next episode. And in the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at Slow Stories Official and on Twitter at Slow Stories Pod. I'm Rachel Schwartzman, and thank you as always for listening to Slow Stories.